pictures of God's own heart. This is our series over the next few weeks. And what's, um, I was sitting in the service this morning being quite moved by the pictures of God's heart that we even got through the service, through worship and through missions and through generosity and through sacrifice and all of these pictures. And I think it's just this beautiful image that God is creating to say, here, are you listening? Are you leaning in? Because I want you to understand my heart. So this morning we're going to be talking about pictures of God's own heart. But before we want to get into that, I want to talk about resumes. I wonder when the last time you had to hand in a resume was and how nervous you were and how you thought through all the things that had to go on a resume. Well, I don't often get to be on the other side of looking at resumes, but recently I have been. And it's really interesting the things that you look at because you don't know the person behind the piece of paper, but you've got to try and work out who they are and whether or not they fit what you need them to do. And so there's different things that you look at, like you look at their experience and their, the presentation of their resume and whether they've got their spelling all right. I'm always one to get it wrong, so I don't judge. Um, the, like, what's their background? Have they worked in this field before? What are their connections? What's their connections with the community? There's all these things that you look at when you look at a resume. But I want you to imagine now, if Warrigal decided that we wanted a king. And we had to decide, okay, we need a king. I wonder what kind of resume we would want to see coming past our desk. If you were in charge and you're like, okay, I need to see your resume, what would you be looking for on this resume? Experience and background and skills and capabilities and all of that. But what would happen if you were in charge and this resume comes across your desk and all it has is these three things. First, can look after sheep. Well, even if you're in Warrigal, it's probably can look after cows, but can look after sheep. Second, can play the harp really well. Can look after sheep, can play the harp. And third, good looking. Oh, you would say, this is our guy, right? You'd probably put it in the... No, this wouldn't even look twice at it. However, this is actually what happened back in the Old Testament times. Because Israel wanted a king. And these three things was the not-so-long list of capabilities that their future king held. His name was David, and nothing on his resume would make you say, this is the guy, we've found him. So over the next three weeks, we're going to have a look at the life of David. And we're looking at this pictures of God's own heart. And we will look at why God chose David, a king, who really didn't fit any of the criteria for being a king, and how... David deals with many challenges that he faces and David's relationship to God through worship. You see, David is one of the big guns in the Bible, right? His story is stretched out over many of the chapters in the Old Testament and he's referred to many times and the entire book of Psalms is is written by him. And even in the New Testament, 
there's these references back to David many times. So throughout the Bible, David is quite a well-known character. And you see, in the New Testament, he's even referred to because God fulfills a covenant that he makes with David by sending the saviour of the world, Jesus, through his family bloodline. So he's, he's important. He's, he plays a big part in this story. And over the next three weeks, we're going to look at this life of, um, of David and how it reveals pictures of the father's heart. So David's story starts when the people of Israel want what everybody else wanted, an earthly king. And God was not pleased with this, not because of the monarchy government. In fact, God was quite for having kingship. Um, he'd made a covenant earlier with Abraham um, that kings would actually come from Abraham's line. And even in the laws that were given in Deuteronomy, there is references to what to do with a king. So God was not against having a king. But it was that the people wanted a human king to succeed where they believed God was failing them. They were so distracted by what was going on around them that they believed that life would be better if they were in charge. So God appoints a prophet called Samuel to appoint a king named Saul, who started out pretty all right, but it went pretty downhill quite quickly. And in the end, he disobeyed God, and this is what Samuel said to him. Pretty heavy stuff. He says, you rejected the word of the Lord, and now the Lord has rejected you as king. That's 1 Samuel 15, 26. So here's this king that Israel wanted, and then the Lord rejects him. So here's Samuel the prophet going, oh, goodness, what on earth am I supposed to do now? And God says, don't worry, don't mourn, don't cry over this, because I've actually got another king ready. He's, he belongs to this man named Jesse. He's the son of a man named Jesse. So Samuel goes over to Jesse's house and he's like, show me your sons. So he meets the first son and his name's Eliab and he's big and he's strong and he's the leader of the family. He's like set to be king. And God's like, mm, no, nah, not that one. So I was like, okay, well, good thing there's another son. Because here we go. What about this son? And God goes, mm, not that one. What about this son? Not that one. He goes through seven sons and God is like, nope. And you've got to remember too, back in that time, that the eldest in the family would inherit the family line. So getting down to the seventh or eighth son was not what Samuel was expecting. And so he says to Jesse, he goes, Jesse, God has said no to all of these sons that you've presented me. Do you have any more? And he goes, oh, well, I've got a little shepherd boy out the back. Like, he's looking after the sheep, but we'll bring in him. We'll bring him in. So when Samuel sees this young shepherd boy, David, he looks at him and God says this. This is the one. Anoint him. So we are left with this question. Why did God choose David? Now, I've spent quite some time getting to know David. 
I've read his story, I've listened to podcasts and read books and commentaries and I've studied him and studied him at Bible college and still what I'm learning is that the deeper that we look into the life of David, the more we discover about the heart of God. Because look at this, the only dialogue that we are given before God chooses David is this. It's from 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. This is what he's saying to the eldest son. The Lord does not look at what people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So why did God choose David? Well, we need to look at David's heart just as the Lord did. Are you ready? We're going to look at three things today about the heart of David. First of all, pretty complicated stuff. David trusted God. Profound, I know. But the more that I look into this, the more that I start to realise that trusting God can so easily be an external thing. I can live my life plodding along, things are all right, things are going well, but I trust that God's will is going to take place because God is all-powerful and all-knowing and everything's going, to, he, everything's going to turn out for him anyway. But then there's also the trust that I trust God with my entire life, that his will and his purpose and his plan can be done in and through me. So we've got this external trust, which actually isn't really trusting God much at all, to this trust where God can use us in complete surrender for his will and his purpose to be planned out. So let's have a look at David. After David is anointed by Samuel to be the next king, nothing really exciting happens. In fact, he pretty much becomes King Saul's slave and his armour bearer and his musician to help him with his nightmares at night, really. And we can see that David's trust in God is already there because even though he was anointed to be the next king, he wasn't pushing it on anybody. He was patient. And the first real opportunity we get to see David in action is when the Israelites take on the Philistines in the epic battle of David and Goliath. Which is funny because it's not actually that epic because not much happens until David rocks up onto the scene. And what is important to note here is that Saul, when he was appointed king, he was chosen in 1 Samuel 8.20 as the one who would go out before us and fight our battles. Yet here, he's sitting back in his probably makeshift throne going, I'll give a reward to whoever will fight for us. So he's not even fulfilling what he was set out to do. Anyway, that's Saul. So along comes little shepherd boy David, who had been given some sandwiches by his dad to go feed his brothers who were out at the epic battle, which was quite uneventful at this stage. And David's kind of like, what's going on here? And his brothers are like, what are you doing here? You, I know what you're doing here. You just, you just want to be here so that you can be part of the battle. You just want to be here for your own selfish pride. And David's like, but what's happening? And they're like, well, there's this really big guy over there and nobody's brave enough to take him on because they will probably die. So David goes, I'll do it. 
imagine what they're all thinking. And he saw the big, powerful king and this little shepherd boy saying, I'll take on this giant. And Saul's like, well, you're probably not going to be able to. You don't have the experience. You don't have the capabilities. You're just not going to be able to do it. And look at what David's response is here in 1 Samuel 17. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it and killed it. Sounds pretty epic, doesn't it? For a shepherd boy. Pretty powerful stuff here. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be one of them. Because... He has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go and let the Lord be with you. David fully understood that the Lord determined the victory. You see, David didn't just trust God could do anything. He trusted God could do anything through him. And we see that as his life goes on, that David realised that earthly kingship and earthly leadership was not to replace God, but to work and lead through the authority and the power of God. David trusted God. Second point, got our first one, he trusted. Second thing is David pursued God. Now we've been talking a little bit about pursuing God in our um, series earlier this year about pursuing God. It's part of who we want to be as a church. We want to be a church that pursues God. And let's have a look at David because he was all about pursuing God and he was all about the presence of God. Let's have a look at some of his psalms that he wrote. In your presence there is fullness of joy. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your your presence? When David becomes king, one of the very first thing he does as king is go back and bring the Ark of the Covenant, which signifies... He brings the Ark of the Covenant out of exile and puts it, places it back right in the middle of the Israelites. Now, what you've got to understand is that the Ark of the Covenant signified the dwelling place of the presence of the Lord. And David, when he was in power, he went and got the Ark and put it back in the heart of the Israelite people because he knows the power of the presence of God among his people. David was all about intimacy with the Father. David pursued God and God was for him. He was with David, protecting him and preserving him, helping him prosper and succeed, giving him favour among the people and victory over his enemies. Let's have a look in in 1 Samuel, some of these instances where God, where, where it is commented, because we know that God was with him, but where it was commented that he was that God was with him. And Saul was afraid of David. Why? Because the Lord was with him. 
David continues to succeed in everything he did for the Lord was with him. When Saul realised that the Lord was with David and how much his daughter Michal loved him, Saul became even more afraid and remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. Don't forget that Saul knew knew God, but there's something off with his heart. And David became more and more powerful because the Lord of heaven's armies was with him. When our hearts are orientated towards pursuing God, it shifts our focus from our plans to the Father's plans. We start operating in the way we're designed to co-labor with him, to operate as part of something bigger than ourselves, to operate with a kingdom mindset. Psalm 62 says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. David was all about the presence of God. He knew the power of pursuing his father. So David trusted God. He pursued God. And let's have a look at the last one. It's big stuff. David loved God. We see with David that loving God wasn't just something that he did. It was a priority for him. His life His love for God consumed him. It compelled him to live a life that was surrendered to God. In his Psalms, let's have a look. I love looking at his Psalms because it's this glimpse into his heart. He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. I will praise you, O God, O Lord, with all my heart, and I will tell of all your wonders. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Now, David loved God. But he wasn't your typical five minutes of reading the Bible every morning kind of a guy. He laboured over his relationship with God. He spent his life pursuing God. It wasn't a blocked out time in his morning. It was his life. He committed himself to pursuing the Father. But he wasn't a perfect king. At all. We paint this beautiful picture of his heart, but there's also the reality of his heart. I've often heard people say that David was a great king, but he also sinned. But that just kind of shows us that he was human. And but David's sin wasn't just there to show us that he was human. We know he was human. And it wasn't just there to show us that he was imperfect. It was there and it was significant to showing us his relentless pursuit of God and God's relentless pursuit of him. I can be fiercely, fiercely in love with my beautiful husband and still completely stuff up. And inevitably, I still do and say things that hurt him But it doesn't mean that I stop loving him or pursuing our relationship. And in his grace and mercy, he forgives me. (laughs) Thank goodness for that. I can be fiercely loving and pursuing God and stuff up. But too often, 
I let my sin and my brokenness interrupt my intimacy with God. Imagine if I did that with my husband. Every time I fell short, if I distanced myself from him because of my shame and my guilt, it would corrode our relationship like that. Yet we do it with our Heavenly Father. Let's look at David's response to his sin. And he sinned pretty badly. We'll be looking more into some of the challenges he faced, but this particular psalm is written in response to after he slept with another woman that wasn't his wife, and she was married to another man. This is David's response. It wasn't a separation from God. It was a coming closer. He says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. What we can learn from David is to run towards God, to lean into God, to draw near to God in our sin and our brokenness and not away. David fiercely loved God. So why why did God choose David? What is God looking, what was he looking for then? And what's he looking from us now? What's he looking for? God is looking for people who want to be in intimate relationship with him. We can't do intimacy if we don't trust God, if we don't pursue God, if we don't love him, if we don't desire to give it all we've got. Can I ask you something? Do you want a relationship with God like David had? One of depth and intimacy and vulnerability? Because it's not always easy. And sometimes it's terrifying. But it's, it takes vulnerability and it takes trust, takes pursuit, and it takes wholehearted hunger. But it is a relationship that has the power to slay giants, to freely worship, to pursue God, one that will open our hearts to trusting and believing that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. I can't help but think, that maybe, that maybe the picture of God's heart that is most beautifully summed up by the life of David is actually an invitation to intimacy with the Father. That the Father is reaching out and saying, I want all of you. Like David had, David was willing to give all that he had to God. I'm in this beautiful stage of life at the moment where all my friends seem to be having babies. And um, one thing, and I can't say this from a parent's point of view yet, but the way that my friends love their children 
even when they don't, these children don't even understand love. The way that they want to, they just want them to know, I'm here, I love you, you mean everything to me. And this child doesn't even know. And I wonder how often we stand, even in relationship with God, praying and worshipping and all of that, yet God is saying, I love you so much more. Come, come closer, like experience my love. So I want to leave you with that, is that maybe God is calling you this morning into a deeper, more intimate relationship with him.